So you need to be busy. You need to be saturated in this industry. You need to be fucking busy all the time. Otherwise, you haven't started. Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. A powerhouse in the Toronto restaurant and cocktail scene, Robin Goodfellow is the owner of Vela Restaurant and is the founder and former owner of Bar Aval and Pretty Ugly. He's also the founder of Little Bones Beverage Consulting Company. And in this episode, you'll discover Robin's counterintuitive secret to packing the house every single time. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Amazing. Awesome. So I love to begin these with just a quick hitting little piece of value. Just from your own experience as a restaurateur, what's one thing that you wish you had learned years ago? One thing. If there was one thing, I'd like letter to my younger self. First answer is like how many w- I'd wish for more wishes. But uh, first answer is there's no such thing as one thing. You got to learn all. But I guess uh, for me, particularly papering all of my deals properly would have probably saved a lot of headaches in the last few years. That would be, I guess, the number one thing. I'm also curious if if you would say that you have a particular area of expertise or like a zone of genius, where is Robin when he's like at his peak? I'm pretty versatile, but it seems like where I shine versus other people or my partners or when I was always like shocked, oh, I'm still doing pretty well and everyone seems to be falling off or tired or whatever. Running multiple stuff, like having a lot of pans on the stove is seems to be pretty easy for me or fun. And that's, it's actually better for me what the more stuff i have my hands into the more i can coordinate because not many people are good at that a lot of people focus on very micro details or they're micromanagers or whatever i'm always i've always been a macro level guy so seeing the big picture and then being like some sort of i guess conductor of multiple things is what i'm good at which is nice because then i can be creative and empower and train and coach but yeah that's always been a fun thing of mine you're like a maestro so for anyone who doesn't know you, would you be cool with giving us like the Cliff's notes, the kind of like how you got into the space and then like you've done some pretty epic stuff in the industry, I think. And so I'd love it if you could just share a bit of that, a bit of your origin story or whatever you want to call it. Is that cool? Yeah, that's Gigi shouting. My origin story? Sure. I'll try to do it quickly. I started bartending in 2003. I was going to, I had no interest in bartending or restaurant stuff, but in first year university, I needed more money. I went to U of T and uh, living in Toronto while going to the University of Toronto left you zero moments free, but also it's a very expensive city. So in order to have fun in Toronto, you need to be making money while also working like an insane amount. Bartending and or serving as it started was like a really great way to make a good amount of money on the weekends. That turned into a really nice thing. I really enjoyed it. Um, I actually worked for Matt Rosenblatt and John Berman who, while I was at Milano on King, my first job, they were building the distillery district. So once that opened, we went over there in 2004 or five, I went over there uh, and it was pretty cool being part of the inaugural team in the distillery district. But that's while I'm still studying. And then I finally gave my notice. I quit all my serving bartending jobs. 
which were great. I made a ton of working from 2003 to 2006 downtown distillery district, like a bunch of jobs was awesome being 19, 20, 21. Oh, and then quit was like, that's it. I'm going to go focus on grad school, got into grad school and then was lied to or was misled about my funding. So instead of making $14,000 for the year to survive and then plus tuition, it was 14,000 minus tuition, which means realized I couldn't survive off of $7,000 for a whole year. I was close, but I needed a little bit more money. So I went back to bartending and finished grad school. And I was like, you know what? I'm over academia and I'm pretty good at this. And they keep offering me like manager positions and stuff. So let's see how this goes. I can always go back to studying, which I studied like social theory, macro level stuff. Basically, how do you get people to do things like health wise? Like how do you get them to quit smoking, work out more, eat healthy without them wanting to? So social marketing and media advocacy was my focus. So when you apply that to like food and drinks, it was actually quite easy. Getting people to eat cool stuff and drink cool stuff was much more easy than, hey, be healthy, don't smoke, because people love smoking and being unhealthy, but they also love drinking and eating. So after working at Chahosky and a few like Queen Street places, I was like, you know what, I can do this. I can do this shit for myself. I've made other people a lot of money, but I'll, and then I went to go work for uh, she who shall not be named. But no, I went for just someone like very quickly thinking I would learn. There wasn't much for me to learn there. And then as fate had it, I ended up at Ursa, which was a very groundbreaking, innovative restaurant, full foraged, full sustainable, had our own farm, run by a bunch of young idiots who were like, all we cared about was pushing the envelope. And there's still yet to be a restaurant like that. But the people who were there, like all of the cooks, all the bartenders, like there was really only three or four of us, literally all own places. In fact, Atsu, who is one of my bartenders, owns multiple places in Asia that are all like on the Asia's top hundred. David Gregg worked at Ursa, came from Vancouver, owns a bunch of places with Gen Ag. There's all the chefs are now consultants, if not owns their own businesses. It, it was the cream of the crop. It was amazing. But we were an occasion restaurant and we were very busy like Friday, Saturday. And we were very busy on Valentine's Day or whatever occasion was coming up, New Year's Eve. But no one was hang, coming to hang out. So that's when I realized that we should probably, I'm like, people need to eat and drink this way, like fully sustainable, innovative, whatever. But I had a chat with the chefs and like, can we do $4, $10 items? And like someone sitting at table one can spend 40 bucks and someone sitting at table two can spend 400. It's up to them. That's, I think that's the future of Toronto. And they're like, no, we are foraged, all white salad dish. Uh, like very cool shit. Very Scandinavian style. Very Noma. No, it needs to be $25. It can't go less than that. So I was like, okay, fuck. I started looking for my own place. And that's when I stumbled across my ex-partners, Mike and Grant, Isabel. And then they were looking at a cocktail bar in Kensington. And when I, after I joined, we had a little bit more strength and trust and whatever to go full on. And the philosophy was being open all the time and spending $4 or 40 or 400, whatever you want, high volume and just being available to do whatever day, morning, night, whatever. And that worked pretty well. And then because Mike and I were very close, I knew that was not the cocktail bar I wanted to do, but it turned into like a whole restaurant, a whole thing. Ravala became this just patio, infamous, you know, unique space. We wanted to do a cocktail bar that was like our style. So we joined up and did Pretty Ugly not too soon after. And then Harry's quickly. And yeah, and then that went on for a while. And Mike left Pretty and Harry's. And then eventually Mike left Raval and 
I had to question my partnership with Grant as well. And things were getting a little weird over the years and decided to open a restaurant with Amanda Bradley and my two old friends at in King and Portland. So I had all these spots. I've been doing consulting, built Paradise Cedar, consulted at a bunch of spots, been training. Like it made sense to open up a big 4,000 square foot restaurant in the heart of the city, like the biggest intersection in Toronto. Uh, so yeah, we wanted to open up this Coco Cabana full entertainment hotel lobby style place that you can come in and have lunch or elegant dinner, $5,000 bottle of champagne or $15 cocktail, whatever. That was supposed to open May 2020. And as soon as COVID hit, had issues with my partner, lost pretty ugly. Vela was on, obviously forced to be delayed. Hard to do a live music venue when you're not allowed to play music or your patio only. Getting that big giant 4,000 square foot train out of the station took a lot longer and a lot more energy than we'd hope. But that's where I'm at now. So we've got I'm no longer a part of Barval, Pretty Ugly, unfortunately, or Harry's, and still doing little bits of consulting. But Bella is a big beast. That's we're still, we got a big long lease there. So hopefully that'll keep going. But I do miss my small bars, which is where I'm at now, is finding another location or two or three to basically redo what I've lost or missed. So that's my whole fucking story. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I'd actually also love to just hear, because you also have Little Bones Beverage, right? And I'd love to just hear a bit about that and what you got going on there. Yeah, I mean, it's again, just I had a lot going on before COVID and there's a, and therefore there was a lot for me to lose. I had $250,000 in events lined up for 2020, just the first half of 2020. And obviously that came shattering down. But Little Bones, I did cocktail classes out of Pretty Ugly for anyone from like bar people to just normal, random private people. and. For Toronto Life events or whatever. I've done consulting, anything from just cocktail menus to full bar design. I had an events coordinator. We did brand activations for a bunch of brands. <clears throat> yeah, so that was really gearing up and just felt weird to keep going with that during COVID. It was a tough time and I didn't really, didn't feel like, I know a lot of people did. They wanted, they ground away and pivoted and brought a lot of attention and, and benefited from it, but it just didn't seem like the right time for me to keep attention on myself or keep going. It was a pretty sad time. A lot of people were hurting and dying and losing their livelihood. So I just didn't really have it in me to focus on business. But Instagram's still there. I still have 7,000 followers. I still obviously have everything that I know and I'm still doing a little bit of consulting. And there's a, actually a big, a big group that wants to work with me and start expanding and we'll see where that goes. But yeah, I went from all of those things, all of that, all of those fats. It's just basically a full service beverage company. Obviously, I'm not a chef. I don't know how to cook or I wouldn't claim to do commercial cooking or whatever. I like doing it at home, but Little Bones was hopefully a fail safe for people. A lot of people open restaurants and don't know what they're doing bar wise. And it just seemed if I can't open everyone's bar for them and invest in every single restaurant that opens, but at least you can make sure that your restaurant your investment in whatever restaurant is secured because someone who's open 15 spaces can help manage your beverage program but you'd be surprised a lot of people think that like it's really easy to sell booze and make cocktails and train staff and do flow of service and all that stuff and they'd rather lose two hundred and fifty thousand dollars than pay me much much less to make them successful so it's yeah it's tough i didn't i'm not really good at selling myself i just kind of hey do you want your shit to work <laughs> Hire me. 
I'm not really one to be like, and this is why you'll benefit. So maybe I need someone to help me do that. That's an interesting segue because you may not consider yourself to be good at selling yourself, but I have always found you to, in addition to being a great restaurateur, you're also, I find you to be a very good marketer. And that's, that's kind of what this show is about. Like, how do we get more guests through our doors? How do we get them spending more? How do we get oh. them more often? And so I'd love, I'd love to hear about how you approach marketing. If there's one, two or three things that you have found to be particularly effective on an ongoing basis or just, yeah, anything. I'd love to hear you just jam on that a bit. Well, that's very kind of you, Kyle. I, I, I feel like I don't want to promote myself like as Robin, like I'm so great, but I have the experience I have. I do know what's great. Like I, I think I, my opinion is objective about what's good, what's not. That's really helpful, especially in marketing. You need to really zoom out and see and knowing that I'm capable of great things doesn't mean that I'm not, I can't see Julia Momos in Chicago is my idol or like Dave Kaplan from Death & Co is like great at expanding businesses. There's, it's important to know who's doing what at a phenomenal level so you can learn. If you think that your cup is full and you know everything, you're never going to learn. And frankly, you'll never be able to market. You'll never be able to like push forward because you really need to, the number one thing about marketing or I don't know if it's necessarily marketing, but in order to change behavior, in school, we study the, the Prochaska wheel. People are always in a different, Gigi's playing in her basket. People are always, it's okay. It's a good thing you can edit this. What's up, Gigi? Okay. Gigi's. So, no, it's okay. She'll stop. The Prochaska wheel that we study in school for behavior change basically just indicates um, that people are at a different phase of acceptance for change at any given moment. So some people are like super ready to change. They're like, you know what? I should just quit smoking. Or I really want to quit smoking, but I don't know how. Or fuck that. I don't want to quit smoking. Same with bars. Same with marketing. I don't want to go to this bar. I never, there's a diet. I don't want to go to Ossington. I don't want to go to Bar Val. I don't want to go to Bella. Like, so there's different ways you market to different people on the Prochaska circles. I would look that up. If that, that's definitely something that I realized a few weeks ago. That's like just always in my thought process. Making an Instagram post for someone in the action phase is much different than someone in pre-contemplation. So obviously, 3 million people in Toronto, 3 million people in pre-contemplation, however many people like want to go to your space, have already been there, know it's affordable, now they're in action. So you market, you got to market differently to who your audience is. And everyone always asks me like, who's your target audience, what's your age group, this and that. I don't really think that's as important as knowing, because I don't know, like a 75-year-old guy or a 25-year-old whatever like cocktails. But there's also 25-year-old people and 75-year-old people who hate cocktails or hate wine or whatever the fuck, you're never going to see them. So it's more if you want to go to something, a bar, a restaurant, dive bar, burger place that I can offer you, how can I get you in? And if you don't, how much money does it take for me to market to you that it's worthwhile for me to get you to pass pre-contemplation to, oh, you're in. And something that's really funny for all the bar people out there is like with restaurants, all the foodies, all the people who watch all the stuff, they're super ready to jump in to the new restaurant that opens. They want to try your whatever, your burger, your pasta, your pizza. They want to tell their friends food at that first little bit that you just open. Just tell someone you're open and blog to you will write about it or all these like other like, like quick journalism, clickbait places, whatever city you're from. They're going to, food people will show up. Bars, bars is more like hairdressers. So 
everyone's in pre-contemplation for your bar because they don't really want to change. In order for someone to change barbers, they need to have had a bad experience multiple times, seen you at the right time. You know what? I'll give them a shot. And then it like needs to be like, this is way better haircut, way better price. And the comp, you know what? Okay, maybe I'll try it again. The next time it's also good. Now, now they've changed and now they're in. That's similar to bars. It's like when we opened Pretty Ugly, we had a huge influx of people wanting to be a part of it because of the restaurant, because of Pretty Ugly, because, because of Raval or whatever. But then it dipped. And then it wasn't like these supporters or whatever. These I'm sure there's a colloquialism term for the, not weekend warriors or wait, fair weather friends, but the early friends, the early regulars. But then all of a sudden we change and you get to see who the real regulars are. And those are the people who switched. And then you slowly build marketing a restaurant versus marketing a bar is different than a nightclub or you really have to understand how people interact with these spaces. So yeah, so I would try to figure out not just like who the demographic is, but like where they are on their willingness to change the behavior, which is the behavior you want to change is you're not going to my place. Now I want you to go to my place. So if you think about that and then you think about like how the momentum is, because if you expect to do one or two posts or one TikTok video, and that all of a sudden your bar is flooded, like you, you don't understand. You, you just don't understand. With food, that might happen. But then you also need to understand that that's not sustainable because people will go to the next Japanese cheesecake trend spot or whatever. Like that kind of crew for food is a very flighty. It takes a lot to, to pin them down. If you have the right ambiance, the right service, the right price point, hot octopus and cool design, then certainly works for a little bit. But yeah, good cocktails, like all these things. So sometimes people will confuse like having something for everybody is being too compromised but it actually is fishing with the proper equipment. And it isn't actually appealing to, to everybody because to use Ravel as an example, Ravel, it's like we only appeal to people who come to those areas and then want what we have to offer. Having, every, having a different sort of thing on the menu is just a way to make the marketing do its job. It's like you can appeal to so many people and if you don't have the content that they want, what the fuck are you doing? You just promoted yourself and... They'll follow you on Instagram and like the pictures, but they're not going to give you their money and tell other peoples to give you their money. I think that was probably it. And it seems like random or not really as, I don't know, it's, it's, it doesn't seem as academic as it is, but yeah, like this is what I studied. It is quite nuanced, but that is the game of pulling people in. And sometimes it's, sometimes it takes a few weeks, sometimes it takes a few months and sometimes it takes longer. You have to really make sure that every day for months or years, you're hitting your notes all the time. And that is why a lot of people who've worked with me have found it possibly, there's probably many reasons, that they found it difficult to be around me because I'm not playing the short game. I'm not like doing a post every single moment someone comes through my doors. In my mind, they've been waiting to come through and... I'm trying to keep them. I'm trying to get them to have a nice time. And if there's one shitty day, that person could potentially never want to come back again. And that doesn't hurt my feelings, but it makes me feel pretty terrible because I think everyone worked really hard for their money. And I think in our industry, you should be cognizant of that. How someone spending money in your place is not a given. It's a, it's a privilege. So yeah, but I hope with the marketing, you pull in the right people, give them the right stuff, and then they come back. So Thank simple. You. I think that's like a wonderful mini Robin marketing masterclass. 
So thank you. Thank you very much for that. And I just, I really want to respect your time here. So would you be cool if we wrap this up with a quick little rapid fire question section? Let's go. Okay. What's your Desert Island cocktail? Campari soda. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Cool. What's, what's your all-time favorite book? Crime and Punish by Michel Foucault. Why? I'd open my brain. Cool. Unlock my brain. Look up post-structural theory. Okay, I will. What's, what tool, course, or resource has had the biggest impact on your success? Tool, resource? What do you mean? Like a tool, like it could be a, some kind of a, just like a, like an online tool. It could be like a resource that you go to again and again, or it could have been like a course that you have taken at school or anything. Yeah. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I think my eight years at U of T with cap with a, a master's in social theory, I think helped shape my brain the most. It also put me through the ringer as far as work wise. So working 20 hours a day for multiple years just seemed natural. A lot of the content, content that we learn in university becomes obsolete, like shortly after we leave, but it definitely turned me into a workhorse and a seeker of knowledge constantly. Yep. Unfortunately, my very expensive piece of paper. Awesome. If two more here, if a restaurant owner came to you and was like, Robin, what can we do in the next three months to increase our revenue? Lower what, your price. Lower prices? Yes. That's interesting. So finish your question. What would you recommend they do to increase revenue over the next 90 days? Yeah, low, lower a lot of your prices. The stuff that sells the most, the stuff that doesn't sell the most. Restaurants should start counting their guest check average, not by how many people come through the door and how much those people spend, but how much each seat is, is empty. So if you have a 30-seat restaurant and you seat 40 people at $50 a person, your guest check average isn't $50 a person. You did two seatings. You're supposed to do two seatings. You've got to count every... You got to count those 20 seats that were empty. So your guest check average is much less. So that's what you should be charging. So you need to be busy. You need to be saturated. In this industry, you need to be fucking busy all the time. Otherwise, you haven't started. That's so good. So like lo lowering prices works as a magnetic pull to make the place more busy. Yeah. And then you don't, yeah, you don't know what your baseline is until you've packed the house. That is really good. I really wish I didn't reveal that. That is the secret sauce. Okay. Sounds counterintuitive. And then there was a lot of fuck product producers or everything is so expensive. I'm not saying lose money. I'm saying think about your arbitrary percentage of costs. Think about that. It's arbitrary. Well, it's made up. Find a way to make your pricing ever more attractive. Make, do stuff from scratch or don't sell stuff. But also, I don't know. Here's the simplest thing. You sell it. You buy a tin of caviar for 50 bucks when you, all your food percentages are 33% or whatever. So you charge 150 bucks for this tin of caviar. Why? You buy something from someone, you open it, and you sell it. Why does it have to be 150 bucks? That's all I'm going to say about that. Love it. Last question. I just bit my cheek. Last question. What are you most excited about over the next, say, like going into the end of the year? It's been a dark three years for me. I was on top of the world and was really looking forward to opening venues that 
didn't need to make money because I was going to be making enough for myself to sustain the lifestyle I wanted. Was going to open bars for a lot of my protégés and staff and colleagues. And just if they made money, great. If not, whatever, we get to do cool shit. So this last few years has sucked, but I'm excited that last 2022 Restaurants Canada announced that we were 45% sales of 2019. This year, we're hovering around 60%. So Canada seems to be coming back. But my friends in Chicago and New York and LA, they didn't have as many lockdowns as us, but they seem to have started to bounce back sooner than us. So I'm more excited that I think Toronto or Canada is on the rise. And in 2019, you could have found me saying, I'll put money down that Toronto is going to be one of the best places to eat and drink in the world. We were really on the rise and that's taken a huge hit because of all of our lockdowns and and they were important, but definitely has had a slag on our lifestyle and the recovery. Doug Ford didn't help either. So I think Toronto's on the rise and next summer, I think, could resemble our 2019 summer. So it only took five years to turn around, but maybe not. But that's definitely what excites me the most, as it seems. People are starting to go out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the way they were. They're not really going out Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, like they were. Actually, it's like giving me 2013, 2012 vibes, to be honest, like how Torontonians are going out. So it might take a few more years, but it's definitely nice that I think our industry is bouncing back. There was a time where I didn't even know if it would come back. Like maybe everyone just wants cocktails out of a fucking box or they don't want to talk to each other anymore. But I think restaurants and bars are super important. I think we've gotten way too used to missing each other. I think we don't hang out with our friends as much because we've been, we got used to missing funerals. We got used to missing hospital visits. We got used to missing weddings because of COVID. And therefore you don't make plans with your friends to just meet at the bar on a Tuesday anymore because you have plans on Friday. You just don't hear from them. And a lot of our friends are struggling and getting sick and we're not seeing them. And I think bars and restaurants are important for that. So hopefully there is a swing back because they're important spaces. Awesome. And so th thank you so much for, for taking the time here. If anyone, say, wanted to like connect with you or find out what you're all about, where should they go to do that? Just message me on Instagram. Oh, yeah, I'm not Robin Cheese anymore. Just Robin Goodfellow with an underscore where the E is supposed to be. I'm easy to find. DM me. I, I respond usually pretty good. Having a new kid means I'm not on my phone as much as I used to, but totally appropriate to message me. If you have any questions, we can then switch to email or whatever. But yeah, like I'm here to help. Definitely struggled more than with business, at least more than most should. So happy to lend some advice. And that's it. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Guest Getter. I'm your host, Kyle Gilfoyle. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. As always, you can head over to guestgetter.co to check out the resources in this episode's show notes and sign up for our weekly newsletter. That is it for today. We'll see you next time.